Welcome to the Golf Betting System Podcast 59. We're covering the 2019 Genesis Open on the PGA Tour and the ISPS Handel World Super 6 on the European Tour. This podcast is for listeners of 18 and above. I'm Steve Bamford, PGA Tour previewer at Golf Betting System, and with me we have European Tour expert Paul Williams. Evening to you, Paul. Evening, Steve. Congratulations on your uh, little coup with Mr... Mickelson just now. We've, uh, we've just, I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll tell you a little story about that in a minute. Just uh, just witnessed him uh, ease himself over the line at Pebble Beach, which was. Uh, Did you witness nice it? I didn't even see it. Right, no, <laughs> I, say, I say witness it. I was sitting watching the uh, leaderboard on the uh, on the on the computer, but uh, but yes, he didn't appear to be in any trouble over those last uh, couple of holes that he was uh, he was Class finishing action, off. Man. Yeah, absolutely. Loves a bit of pebble, doesn't he? GolfBettingSystem.co.uk. We're available on social media. You can join our Golf Betting System Facebook group. We're now through the four and a half thousand member uh, le- uh, level, I suppose you call it. Link. The link is available in the description box. Right. I'm at Bamford Golf on Twitter, and Paul is at Golf Betting. Look out for the Golf Betting System YouTube channel, channel where I present the Golf Betting Show every week. In fact, I've just produced one for Paul's tournament. Uh, the podcast is available on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and a myriad of different pod channels. You can also listen, and many, many do, via our Golf Betting System YouTube channel. Naturally, subscribe and follow the podcast, and please take time to rate and review us on iTunes. And naturally, as we do every week, that's if anyone leaves one, I will read them out at the start of next week's show. We know Genesis Open Port is going to be a very well listened to podcast Tiger Woods is playing I have to yeah. say it is at the top end a rather major like looking uh, entry list this week we'll go into that in a bit more detail in a short mm. while anyway back to this story go on then. let's classify it as a kind of recap of last week John I as you as you're very aware Paul some listeners might be I was in Amsterdam at the weekend on the worst stag do I've ever been on <laughs> Now, that's not to say I didn't enjoy the stag do, because I did, but there was no organisation whatsoever. So, um, like 20 lads are out there, and I saw most of the others for about five minutes. Mm. But anyway, that's, that's by the by. But anyway, cut a long story short, get home yesterday afternoon, not feeling the best of spirits, tired, hungover, la la la. So I, was, I, I, I retired last evening about nine o'clock UK time, and there was no way I was watching any golf whatsoever. And actually, watching it this morning on the recap, I don't think they started playing until God. There was like a two-hour two oh, yeah. delay again. Wasn't there it? was a delay at the start, and then uh, they played for a bit, and then uh, then the hail came down, and uh, that pushed it all back as well. So yeah, it was never going to quite get done, I don't think. So wake up this morning, have a bit of a lie until seven in the morning, which, as you know, Paul, for a Monday is very late for mm. us. Right? Look at my phone. Oh, I'll tell them... Phil Mickelson's one, I say to the missus. That's great. I've got a winner. Fantastic. And then it was only 45 minutes later when you popped my fucking... Uh, my, you popped my uh, my actual balloon and said, Steve, it hasn't finished yet. <laughs> oh, great. Thanks for that. Oh, and by the way, you can't do any of the work that you usually do on a Monday because none of the statistics will have updated. <laughs> So that's yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, and your odds for the uh, for Riviera are not going to be up until late, if at all, on Monday from some of the bookies. It just sets yeah, it all that's, back. That's very it? true. It does. Uh, it does scupper things when these uh, Monday finishes come along. 
I think we did learn a few things last week, as we always do. Phil on a soft golf course is just mercurial. Uh, we've always known that. When, when he can control those inbound... I mean, he was in the top eight for GIR around Pebble Beach. Yeah. I think Phil is the most natural Poana putter level with Jason Day and Brant Schnedeker. Yeah. I think those three are on a pedestal, aren't they? Yeah, he, he gets, oh, he gets sorry, sorry. I did forget the rather obvious one of Dustin Johnson as well. Those four are on a pedestal when it comes to uh, Poana. Yeah, he gets on with the surface. He clearly gets on with Pebble, doesn't he? Was that his, his fifth win at Pebble overall now? Big, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a big old uh, event and big, uh, big venue for him in his career. Did you catch any of the coverage? Because I know it's a difficult one to watch. Yeah, little bits and pieces. They were so saying that the rough is pretty much where they're going to have it for the US Open. On, the, on Pebble Beach itself, yeah. yeah. Mm. The, we shall see. You know, so it was interesting on the Sky Sports coverage, because one of the experts said that he thought Phil would have a fantastic shot at the US Open. Mm. And then that was completely sort of, oh, I don't agree with that. <laughs> Um, from the from the other guy on there, so don't know. What what are your thoughts? Do you think it'd have to be a very soft course for Mickelson to survive a US Open? The conditions days? are going to be very different, aren't they? That's you know, those players who came along this week and were hoping to get some kind of feeling as to what the US Open is going to be like in in a few months' time. It's going to be what, June, so you're talking more or less four months from now, aren't it? Just over four months. It's got to be very, very different, isn't it? Does that mean that Lefty can't win it? I, you know, he's he's clearly stepped up a little mark again in his game, hasn't he? Over the last what two, year or so, from the from the WGC that he won last year, clearly he's got uh, got over the line again at one of his favourite venues uh, just now. Um, he's got to be very popular for the Masters again, isn't he? You know, Punter's oh, yeah. going, going to put you know two and two together, and you know who's playing well, Lefty? Who loves um, Augusta, Lefty? His price is going to be uh, his price is going to be slaughtered, particularly if he shows any more form between uh, between now and then. Um, but yeah, going back to your question, does that mean that he he's not going to perform well in in June? I don't think so. I think you know he's still got a bit about him, isn't he? Conditions dependent, I think very much so. Yeah. But yeah, he's a he's a quality act, and we kind of said it last week. It was going to be nasty weather, cold weather. Yep. Um, so selecting uh, four players that. All, well, three of them were starting on Monterey. That worked quite nicely because you knew that you were going to get the a good number of those Monterey elite players at the top of the leaderboard because they mm. were on the easiest course in the easiest soft conditions on the Thursday. It all came together quite nicely. Yep. And then it's like from there, um, you just know with Phil, once he's got a sniff on a course, you know, clearly one of the most favourite courses he plays, he's going to hang around. I thought Paul Casey played quite well for three rounds, clearly, but he's just in when he's leading. It's just, it's just not a good story, is it, with Paul? Casey? No, you know, and he he, he got uh, he got over the line uh, last year, didn't he, with that you know outstanding putting round that he produced. Um, but, but he wasn't leading that. That was one where he could no. actually come from behind, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's you know, Copperhead. That's. Um, that kind of performance from him on a Sunday is the exception. It's not the rule by any stretch, is it? And uh, mm. yeah, and not just that performance, but a putting day like that isn't what you expect with Paul Casey. He just kind of tightens up, doesn't he? He doesn't necessarily freeze. He doesn't necessarily, you know, collapse. It just uh, it just all gets a bit tighter, and you know, you're not making the you're not making the birdies that you need to to produce the round to to get yourself over the line. You know, that that's. Uh, 
that, that winner side every other time you look at it recently and uh, you know he'd be a lay on a Sunday from whatever position he's in it's, uh, mm. but yeah you know his his uh, downfall was uh, was your uh, to your benefit this week so uh, all good yeah that happened at the Travellers last year as well if you remember we were on Bubba, weren't we? Yeah. And Bubba came from about five behind, and Paul was shooting one over, two over on the Sunday again. Yep. Yeah. It's a it is a common story with Paul Casey, especially a player that's often quite um, overpriced, in my opinion, because mm. you know when you've got a conversion record that he's got, and you're getting like twenty eight to one or twenty two to one, hmm, difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Now yep. the other couple of players I know took took real note of this week. One was Siwoo Kim. And as we're very aware, Siwoo is an absolute Bermuda monster. Yep. And week, week after next, we touch down in Florida for the Florida swing. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely one to take a mental note for, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were talking about Matt Every off air as well in terms yeah, of Matt uh, Every, yeah. showing some improvement. And when he hits... Um, He's going to be relatively limited when he starts, isn't he, because of his status. But when when that hits Florida and you see him in the field, again, not necessarily for a win, but I know you've picked him up at a mad price for first round leader in the past. And yes, he started. Was it event event before last? Wasn't it? He started with something like six straight birdies, or he was six under three yep. six, or something like that. Um, that's the kind of player he is. He can produce these mad low rounds and. Uh, Got We've also got a couple of these um, alternate events coming up, haven't we? Yeah. So Corrales and Puerto Rico, they're the kind of events where he just pop up. Yeah. yeah. Coastal, soft golf course, Paspalum Greens. Yeah. I think he's definitely got a first round leader calling him over the next yeah. few times you see him. Yeah. And it's generally a mad price outright, which. Uh, which does tend to translate to you know a pretty juicy price for first round leader as well. So one to keep uh, and, one to keep an eye on. I yeah. think. Obvious one for this week as well is Scott Stallings, mm. who played. He always pops up on Poana. Loves the West Coast, as we discussed last week. The link between Tor- Torrey Pines and Pebble, and there you go. He, he shoots a cracking round on the, on the Sunday. He's as big as 80, even 90 to 1 with Bet365, and that's already been nibbled. Mm. Um, he's also the sort of Stalins who, when he finds the all-round game, because he's actually a, more of a ball striker, but when the putter warms on a surface that he likes, he's more than capable of, of stringing one, two, th- even three good tournaments together and then disappearing forever. Yeah, he, he strikes me as one of those underrated kind of players who... Again, yeah, he, t- he tends to be a far longer price than you might expect, and uh, he can good win. on a classical yeah. course as well. Good on a yeah. classical course, which suggests that they've got a you know they're not just ripping apart a resort course. They mm. can actually ma- move the ball both ways and scramble, manage themselves around. Yep. Yeah. So, so Stalin's is a shout, I think. Yeah, the, the, these players who produce a lot of miscuts and often get uh, kind of discarded, but when they do hit a. Uh, a track or a part of the country or whatever the you know or a, a putting surface or whatever it is that uh, that they feel more comfortable on you can you can tend to pick up some decent uh, decent prices and they've got a far better chance than people think I think. What did um, what did you get out of the Vic Open last week? Yeah, well, apart, apart from a sore head. Yeah, disappointment really because uh, as, as we saw on 
Thursday with uh, Nick Flanagan, who got off to an absolute fly, didn't he? 62 in the first round, 10 under. What price were you on him at? 250s. So, yeah, he, he started wide. He started well. He was two two shots clear. He was still in the tie for the lead um, going into the weekend. And uh, he got caught in the final group. He was out there with Jason Scrivener, who equally had a, a bad round on Saturday. And uh, as who, they... was, who was 12 to 1. <laughs> yeah. 12 to 1 Scrivener and two and 250 to 1 shot Flanagan. Yeah, and they, they, they were both out late, and naturally, and uh, the, it was a tough old day, particularly for the later starters. It got, uh, it got really windy, and that, that track there, clearly, when the wind blows, it is a, a challenging course. When it's benign, as with a lot of these coastal tracks, there's not much to protect it, but. Uh, Take it apart. Yeah, as the wind was blowing and Scrivener and Flanagan both shot 76. That was the round that uh, Scrivener picked up his uh, his tee marker when he went to uh, went to move it for, for one of his uh, playing partners to putt and uh, incurred himself a penalty there. Bit of a brain fart, but uh, these things happen, don't they? But yeah, so, they, so he, Flanagan went backwards. He did, to be fair, he, he shot a decent round, 69 in the final round, three birdies to finish, and uh, he came 10th, but uh, that's no good when you when you're backing them each way. Um, I did actually get three of them through to the final round. So Jeff Ress and, uh, and Paul Dunn both got through to the final round. And when you've only got 35 players in the final round, um, and you've got three out of those in your team, kind of hope that one of them had pulled that, uh, that you know, outstanding round out that's going to get you a place or potentially even a win. I mean, even Dunn, who's sitting in sixth, uh, seventh place going into the final day, I think he was five back and... You know, we've seen him before when he when he won at Close House. Would he? I think he shot sixty one that final round, and you know, you know he's capable of doing that. You know, his his putter is capable of being um, absolutely red hot, but um, it just didn't happen. You know, it's a, it's a shame because from the position I was in early on, it was uh, it was looking quite good. And even Andre uh, Lauty, that were part of the top twenty, he shot seven under in the first round, so he was right in the uh, right in position. But uh, again, that. Just started to fall to pieces and didn't make it through to the Sunday. In the end, he was another one who got cut after 54 holes, as was the uh, format of the tournament. But, uh, but yeah, I think there's some positives to take out of it anyway. I think I read the tournament reasonably well, just uh, didn't quite uh, didn't quite get the uh, get the result. And David Law, I mean, if you, you've managed to pick him out, then uh, very well done to you. 300 to 1 he was, and uh, I've seen some... Fair screenshots of a thousand to one, um, either uh, pre-event or um, early in the early in the actual event itself. So some people clearly did manage to pick him out and uh, and get a result. So well done to you guys if you did well done do to that. Them. Yeah, absolutely. Before we go on to the events this week, it's worth mentioning that we're recording our first Masters podcast on Wednesday, and yep. Barry O'Hanrahan's going to be involved. Yeah. So uh, we're looking forward to it ever so much. Um, we're planning, I think it'll, there'll be effectively three podcasts. There'll be the one that we're about to do that focuses on the anti-post markets and gives some real background around what kind of player characteristics we want, trends from previous years, best bookmaker offers, blah, 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 blah. Uh, then the week before the Masters, we'll, do, we'll have another uh, podcast where we're really starting to deep, get down into the detail, you know, where, what kind of, how the course is likely to play and our views, and then, of course, the actual week of the Masters itself. But when you've got a tournament that is so important and so popular, it'd be churlish not to uh, 
to talk about it um, a bit more than a regular event. So that's yeah. going to be the first one of those is on Wednesday. So it'll either be out on Wednesday afternoon UK time or um, potentially Thursday morning. Yeah. Right. PGA Tour, um, Genesis Open. So the old Northern Trust Open as well. It's played at Riviera Country Club, which is a beautiful, classical, old-style golf course in Los Angeles. And uh, if you listen to this for a field, Dustin Johnson, McElroy, Thomas, Rahm, DeChambeau, Bubba, Xander, who's already got two wins this year on the PGA Tour, Tiger Woods, whose actual charity uh, foundation organised this event. Phil Mickelson, that 33-1 has just gone, Paul. That's 25s now. Um, Jordan Spieth, Matsuama, Casey Cantley, Finau, Kuchar, Leishman, Scott. It's loaded. Cam Mm. Smith, Tommy Tommy Fleetwood at 40s. And then we're out to the likes of Oosthausen, Garcia at 50-1. Let's hope he behaves himself. So mm. it's it's an absolutely cracking field. Um, we've even got like the likes of Rafa Cabrera, Bello, Bello at sixty sixes, Hatton at eighties. You know, it's it's a you've got good players at prices you don't normally see them at. Yeah. So Cameron Champ, a hundred to one currently, and uh, you know I remember Champ, yeah. You know, back end of last year, and uh, you know after he won that event, and you know the, the a lot of people say, oh, you know, you would never see. Decent prices about Cameron Champ is such a uh, such will. a talent, but, uh, but yeah, as you said, this field is absolutely stacked, isn't it? And uh, yeah. undoubtedly, it's uh, you know it's going to push some of their prices out of some of these players, and yeah, hundreds of ones quite a tempting uh, tempting number. Looking at that, I must say, he's a good player for hundred to one, isn't he? Mm. And actually, he did better at Pebble last week than I thought he would. In the end, I think he came in like top thirty-five or something, yeah. and you know. Sometimes you, especially on a three-course format, you could, as a young, young talented player, that can all become far too much. Well, yeah. but um, yeah, especially when you. So I, you know, at the end of the day, Riviera. I mean, it's worth getting into the detail. Classical, undulating golf course. Uh, you'll hear a lot of this this week about the Kikuyu grass. So it shares Kikuyu grass uh, with Torrey Pines in terms of the PJ Tour, and of course, Kikuyu grass is quite common in Australia, South Africa. So, uh, you know, you've got a lot of leaderboards. South, you know, Charles Schwarzel's done well around here. Yep. Um, Adam Scott's almost won around here. There's um, there's some good links to, uh, to Antipodean or Southern Hemisphere golfers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it doesn't feel like a long golf course when you look at the raw numbers. Um, it's 7,300 yards and it's a par 71. And that doesn't really you know, shout to you, oh, it's a, it's a real bomber's course. But when you look at the actual setup of the course, I'm just getting my, um, my scorecard in. Um, the first hole is a 503-yard par 5, which is the shortest par 5 of the year. And then, of course, you've got the famous drivable, allegedly, par 4 tenth, which yep. is 315 yards. So, on the basis, that's a par 5 and a par 4. The rest of the, you know, 7,322 yards, it is quite a lengthy golf course yep. for the other 16 holes. Mm-hmm. A lot of, you know, mid to high, 
450, 470-yard par fours. Uh, you know, you've got par threes that are all around the 200-yard mark. The fourth is 236 for a par three. Uh, there's a short par three to uh, 166 yards for the 16th, which is a bit, bit of a devil. The closing hole is nigh on 500 yards par four. So don't... I think the way I'd explain it is that you, you have got shorter winners that have got the job done around here but they really do have to be playing an absolutely unbelievable kind of level. Adam Scott, of course, is has won here at Riviera back in 2005. Yeah, I, I knew I'd made a mistake. But you've also had Aaron Badley win around here. So, yeah, and Robert, Robert Allenby, of all people. Yeah, so, but yes, that Kikuyu grass link is quite a good one. Yeah. But Allenby used to be, you know, in the old day, long, straight, high GR. Yeah, exactly. You, you can kind of correlate him and uh, Adam Scott into that kind of, you know, in terms of ball strike and very, very similar kind of mould, aren't they? Um, presumably, if some of the shorter hitters have managed to do well here, it's probably been on years where it's been um, firmer and faster. Cause Scrambling it's fest, yeah. Yeah, if, if it's... If it's soft and, as you say, it's you know pretty lengthy in terms of the the, the true scorecard anyway, then it's uh, it's not going to appeal to the to the shorter players. I'm sure of that. Greens here are a mix of bent grass and poana, so you're probably there. There's there's bent grass in there, so they're they're a mix. They're not pure po like we saw last week, which does help some players that can actually put on a mixed surface, although yep. they may struggle on pure power. Um, the greens themselves are around about 5,000 square feet. So they're bigger than last week, but that's not saying a great deal. Um, uh, the, the actual um, uh, mix is creeping bent and poana. Tend to run fast on the stim. And it, this course really can be a devil. If you if you go back to the year that James Harm won, which I think was 2015, and also last year, 2018, the course was firm, fast, and particularly fiery. Mm. I don't think we're going to see that this year, but we'll go into a little bit more detail in a short while. It's also a Tom Fazio design. So one of the things that we've added to this week's predictor model for the Genesis Open is a um, a set of results that are based around Fazio designs or redesigns over the last five years. So that's interesting. Yeah. And, of course, that tends to throw up the same names, a Bubba Watson, a Dustin Johnson, Um so that's worth looking at in terms of the predictor model, the Fazio variable this week. Because some of his cl- courses, I was actually slightly surprised. Quail Hollow, of course, we know. He also redesigned Merion when Justin Rose won in 2013, the US yeah. Open. He also, lo and behold, redesigned Oakmont where Dustin Johnson won the 2016 US Open. So you can see a lot of carryover here. Yeah. Conway Farms as well, the BMW Championship, 13, 15 and 17. And also the Seaside course where they play the RSM Classic every year. So quite a lot of Fazio redesigns out there. And you do get certain names popping up on a lot of those designs across them. Yeah, certainly. Which would suggest that they like that kind of the features that he puts on a court. Yeah, the, the the names, you know, a lot of them seem to be similar kind of mould, don't they? Ball strikers, longer, longer ball strikers. So perhaps there's some commonality between those courses that drives that kind of player. As you said, though, it's a it's a real pure classical course, and with a classical course, you often get two kinds of winner. You get pure ball striker, or you get a guy that's got a fantastic short game that 
in a certain setup, i.e., firm and fast, everybody's struggling to hit greens. Yeah. And they can uh, they can get plenty of up and downs and keep keep right in the actual um, the competition. Um, I'm not sure that's going to happen this year. For me, I think Riviera plays long anyway. Um, and the weather has been well. We saw at Pebble Beach last week, and Pebble Beach isn't a million miles away from Riviera in Los Angeles. Um, the golf course here has had um, quite a lot of rain over the last. Mm, three to four days when I've actually gone back into my notes um, they've taken on board almost 370 millimetres of rain since the start of December and that's a lot more than you used to see Mm -hmm. here take it last year they'd only seen 38 millimetres over the same two and a half month period it's ten times that's mad isn't it yes it's at 367 Mm. this particular year so I think it's all going to be about bombers it's all going to be about the long irons. It's all going to be about ball strikers. But clearly, if you can find a ball striker in an elite mould who not only can hit the ball and hit lots of greens, but he's a good scrambler as well and a good ball shaper. I think there's a, there's a common idea here that faders prosper at Riviera, the, the left-to-right ball flight. Yeah. yeah. And you can see that. But I, if you can find a ball striker can, that can move the ball both ways... Yeah, which explains um, Bubba, doesn't it? Because Bubba clearly yeah. loves this, uh, loves this course. Cre- creative golfer. Yeah. So we're looking at a soft, sopping wet golf course, as we saw last week. Um, I think it's going to be the longer, higher hitters that thrive this week. I really do. Um, and when you just look at previous winners around here. I mean, I'm, clearly, it's fairly obvious, isn't it? We've got Bubba Watson's won three times since 2014. Mm. We've had DJ win in 2017. I was on him. And we had DJ finish second even in 2015, the year where we had Hahn at a crazy big price win. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking, if you just look at the records of those guys as they were arriving at Riviera, they were striking the ball fantastically off the tee from a strokes gained off the tee perspective. And in the main, they were ranking very, very highly in terms of complete strokes gain tee to green which would suggest they also had a bit of a short game where they were actually um, you know up in you know making making gains around the greens as well yeah yeah makes sense so that's the kind of mould I'm looking at it's difficult to get into real detail on the basis that markets are only just coming up and I haven't been able to run all my full analysis that I'd want to on the basis that the uh, the AT&T Pebble Beach has just finished but my opening thoughts around this are, if I was looking at players, you know, we've got Dustin Johnson at 8, 9 to 1, which isn't the, the, the most generous of prices, but we know that DJ loves the format. There's a potential question mark about whether he's playing the best golf at the moment. And if you're looking at someone at 8 to 9 to 1, really you want to make sure that everything that you'd want to see is physically there. Yeah. Yeah, and just his performance last week, you know, when I backed him two years ago, he just finished third at Pebble Beach and a fast finishing third, yeah? Uh, he came here the next week and he absolutely annihilated field on the soft golf course. I don't know if I saw enough from DJ last week to suggest that he's in the top top form of his of his life at the moment. No, although you've got to bear in mind, he'd just won in Saudi. He'd... Yeah, just got off jet lag or yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So, 
he's come straight. You know, he, he loves Pebble, doesn't he? So could he have set that aside and uh, and got over that? It's, it's difficult to tell, isn't it? It is difficult yeah. to tell. But he played, you know, did some really good stuff in Saudi. I know he's not, you know, the field that he beat there isn't the field that uh, you've got here. You know, even though there were some, you know, some top names there. Um, I think this is a deeper field. Um, so. It's, it's a it's a tough one, and and that's why you're getting nine to one rather than kind of the the sixes and sevens that we've seen over over other weeks. There's there's more was things he to beat. Fifteen to two last week. Yeah, around sixes that kind of was bracket. it? Sixes or saw sevens? Yeah, it's it, but for a couple of weeks now he's been that kind of uh, that kind of level. But um, so yeah, the, the field has pushed him out a little bit here. But um, certainly not to say that he can't win this. We then got kind of Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas at 14s. If I was going to take one of those, bearing in mind Justin Thomas is one of my favourite players, mm. right at this point of time, I'd probably take McIlroy. Yeah. I think McIlroy's playing some really good stuff at the moment. Wow. And one thing that comes to mind here, just looking back at the win- winners here, um, this is just the kind of um, situation that winners have been in. Take Bubba last year. Barber hadn't won for two years here, and he won at fifty to one. Mm. Clearly, his previous win. Guess where he'd been it? Yep. Um, you then go to Dustin Johnson in twenty seventeen. He hadn't won since the BMW Championship the previous year, so five months. Bubba in twenty sixteen had won Tiger's Challenge in the early December. But see, what I'm suggesting here is that we haven't got players here that have actually won in the calendar year that they've won this tournament. Yeah. James Hahn, well, he'd never won a PGA Tour event. Bubba Watson in 2014. He hadn't won uh, since the Masters in 2012. John Merrick, a non-winner. Bill Haas, well, Bill Haas in 2012 when he won this. Um, he'd won the Tour Championship in 2011. Aaron Baddeley, he won it in 2011. He hadn't won for four years. So, even though you could look at this field and you could say, well, um, John Rahm's been playing... Uh, Bryson DeChambeau's been playing some great stuff. He's he, he's actually physically won this year, which is a bit of an off point looking at those numbers. Xander Schofle, again, been playing some great stuff. Nice, reasonable prices available out there, 22 to 1, maybe a little bit of 25 to 1. I'm not suggesting that Xander won't feature. I'm not suggesting that he can't win around here. But if you just go off that trend, you don't tend to get players that have already won two times on the PGA Tour just rocking up here and winning. No, that's just, the kind of, that's just the kind of way it is. I wonder, you know, if you've you've already got that win to your name for the season, you've got the Masters coming up. You know, are you looking to get your game right and to peak again in April rather than, you know, feeling the need to it. to win again now? And it's difficult yeah. to know how deep the golfers really think about it. And you know, I'm not not suggesting that some of them go out and deliberately don't, I don't try to win. it's a conscious win, thing, it's just a biorhythm thing, isn't it? Yeah. You, know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, whereas, whereas some of them who haven't got a win will feel that they need to kind of yeah. validate their form and to validate the game over the next few weeks to, to know they're in the kind of shape that they can go and contend when, uh, when it gets to the Masters. It's an interesting trend. I mean, you talk about McElroy... Um, you know, one thing we know he absolutely loves is a sopping wet golf course, and if it's gonna gonna be as uh, you know as wet as you've described in terms of the amount of rain that he's taken over the last few weeks, then uh, that could play right to his strengths. I also think course experience is important here. Now you look at John Rahm, 
we know that John's been playing some awesome stuff. We know that he plays well at Torrey Pines. Mm. Um, we know, but he's sixteen to one, and he's never played the golf course. Yeah, and I just genuinely think to to win here. Yes, you get your Thomas Peters that came second here a couple of years ago, and but Thomas Peters wasn't a sixteen to one shot. I think no. Thomas Peters was more of a hundred to one shot. Yeah, yeah, and that's built into the price, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, hundred to one, you might take the chance. If uh... sorry, Thomas Peters, I've got, I've got it. One hundred twenty-five to one. Yeah. Now you're not getting out a sixteen to one shot in John Rahm, are you? No, no, no. And you know, it's, uh, there's an expectation that Rahm's, you know, already at that level above, and he's going to be able to compete and contend on, you know, pretty much wherever he goes. And again, you know, a long soft soft golf course would kind of play. Play to his strengths. I don't think it's going to play particularly tough by the sounds of it. What's the wind no. expected to be? It's not. It's not excessive. The wind is it? We're talking Monday as ever. I mean, I was looking at it this morning. Um, there is going to be some wind on Thursday. Apparently, I mean, I will have a close look in the morning. See how the forecast delivered. Mm. Could be gusting up to twenty miles an hour Thursday. Could be gusting up to twenty-five, thirty miles an hour on Sunday. So take that as you will. It's going to still be a soft golf course because I think there's going to be rain um, definitely on Wednesday in the week and looking very likely during play Thursday morning as well. Yeah. There could actually be, I mean, if this forecast came to fruition, they're saying rain on Thursday morning. They're also saying winds up to 20 miles an hour and then the wind dies completely. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a suspension of play on Thursday, looking at the forecast. So it's difficult to say that late, early would get a break. You might find they haul them off after a couple of hours and the course is underwater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you just don't know, do, do you? Nah, you, you, you it's, how can you second guess it? I don't think you can, can you? But, you know, the trend I was telling you about with DJ and Watson? Yeah. These are, these are Rory's numbers. Bearing in mind, Rory's now focused purely on the PGA Tour. He's played at Kapalua, where he made his debut. Strokes gained off the tee first. Strokes gained tee to green sixth. He then went to Torrey Pines, which I think, for memory, was another course debut, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. So he finished fourth in Kapalua. He then finished fifth at Torrey Pines. And we know pure power he struggles on. Sure enough, 55th for strokes gained putting. But third for strokes gained off the tee. And also ninth for strokes gained total tee to green. He was 11th for strokes gained around the green. He's in, And I always feel in my mind that when Rory's hitting the ball straighter than he usually does, yeah, hitting more fairways, that's when he starts coming to the fore, when he's got confidence in that driver. Well, if he's hitting fairways and it's a soft golf course and his irons can just land exactly where he wants them to land, then he's a mm. dangerous, dangerous beast, isn't he? Now, you could say oh, his, his record here isn't very good. Yes, he's played here twice and he's finished in the top 20 twice. And actually, on debut, and we were saying it's a tough course to get your head round first time round, he was actually in fourth place entering Sunday. Yep. And, he, and then he just blew up. But that, again, was a year where James Harm won, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, so when the course was actually... Oh, it was certainly a setup. I think, where it was um, it was constantly getting firmer and firmer and firmer. I'm not sure we're going to get that this year. I think it could be soft the whole way through, and that really does play to McElroy's mm. um, strengths. And don't forget, it hasn't won since Bay Hill last year yep. on either tour. Yep. So he'll be hungry. 
very, very hungry. Um, his numbers last year around here, fourth for strokes gained off the tee. Um, he was 22nd for strokes gained tee to green. I think, he, I think he's got the game. And I've just read co- comments from, uh, around him saying his words were, um, you can, I can see why Bubba plays well around here because he's got such a creative, aggressive mentality. Mm. And he says, if you look at the golf courses I play well at, they're exactly the same as Bubba's. Yep. And that's, that's, they're his own words. So I think there might be something in Rory this week if I was going to take yeah. someone from the very top. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of positives. I'm tempted. I would rather take him than Thomas and Rahm this week. Mm-hmm. And probably DeChambeau as well. Who are all about priced at the same. Yeah, yeah, all in that kind of bracket, aren't they? What about Bubba? My real dilemma, Paul, is yeah. whether I back Bubba Watson. Yeah, he's, he's a difficult one, isn't he? You know, he, he clearly loves Riviera. Um, defending, um, I don't think he's, he's not defended in his career as, as yet, has he? But he's this kind of player who he loves the courses that he loves. They... If, if he's comfortable and happy on a particular track, then he tends to perform year in, year out, doesn't he? And three wins here, it's, it speaks for itself, doesn't it? He seems quite relaxed. I mean, I saw that podcast he did and he was relaxed in that. He seemed quite relaxed in Phoenix the other week. I mean, mm. listen to these numbers. Phoenix, strokes gained off the tee first. first strokes gained approach, seventh. Strokes gained tee to green, first. Yeah. Strokes game putting fifty sixth, but that doesn't yeah. matter. This isn't this isn't a putting f- fest. It won't be, and he knows exactly where he needs to put his approaches, and he can read those bent Poana greens perfect. That, that's his favourite surface, well, yeah. the mix of the power and the bent. And this is where the comfort level comes in. He 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 knows his long games in decent nick, and it turns mm. up to a course where he feels comfortable and confident on the greens. He can read the greens. He can read the grass. He. He knows the different nuances of the, the the way that the course is set up and the greens are, screens are set and you know it all kind of slots into place. Now it clearly doesn't slot into place every year because you know he's had some uh, he's had some poor efforts here, but uh, to one three out of the last five attempts here is you know, he clearly loves it, doesn't he? Yeah, he's never defended, and that's that's a real downside you, you you can't you can't you can't say anything but that mm. um but you know if you if we're seeing a, a happy bubba and he's in a decent space um and it was interesting that he has gone quite close when defending here yeah um i'm just bringing the stats up on the system um when he defended here in 20 it was the first time so it was 2015. That was the year when it was really firm and fast that Harm won. Yeah. Uh, he was six. He was uh, he was six, six at halfway, six at six at 54 holes. So it's not as if he hasn't been in contention no, here no, when no. defending. No, and he's not completely blown up when defending, has he? It's just uh, just hasn't happened yet. But uh... but he is playing some brilliant stuff right now. Mm. And he knows every nook and cranny. I don't think it being a soft golf course is going to do him any harm either. No, no. Um, we then get to the likes of Xander, who we just kind of discussed. I mean, I like I like him for this, but I'm not sure he's actually stroking the ball as well as you'd probably want to see. But he just seems to pop up when he wants to. Whether he thinks the Genesis Open is a huge tournament, and that's when he seems to come to the fore, isn't it? Big, big tournaments. 
Um, I don't know. Tiger Woods is playing 20 to 1 generally available. He has not got the greatest of records here. Yeah, I get the feeling it's funny that, but he just hasn't ever played this golf course at all well. Never won here. I I was just flicking through his record here a little bit earlier and I I saw that he played uh, played Riviera last year, but uh, you've got to go all the way back to the Nissan Open, haven't you, to get any. To get any course form from him, and uh, you know, given his dominance back in the back in the days that he was playing the Nissan, uh, for him not to have won. Mm. Um, Nineteen ninety nine was the year he was runner up. Yeah, yeah, a couple more top tens, didn't he, over the years? But and so. he went, yeah, he came here with oh three, oh four, oh five, oh six. Clearly, he's a Los Angeles boy. He never played here between oh six and last year. Yeah, which tells you that he doesn't want to play the golf course. Mm. And you know, and the idea with Tiger is, and it's true, we know with Tiger, we know what courses he plays well on, and you know where he's going to contend. And I don't think it's this week. That's not to say that he doesn't come into the picture for next week, which is the Honda Classic. And I think clearly Bay Hill, um, 12 months on from where he really broke out last year. Mm. Um, I don't know if he'll play Cobhead, but these those, those Flo- that Florida swing is, I think, where Tiger will start to peak for, for Augusta. Yeah, yeah, we shall see. And let's face it, he knows how to do it, doesn't he? Mm. Um, and then we've got the likes of Mickelson at 25-1. to 1. I can't back Jordan Spieth. 25-1 to 1 is getting a better price, but you don't find the layers seem to be putting... I don't think you're getting the prices on Spieth and the way that he's playing that you should be getting. You should be getting a lot bigger than 25-1, mm. in my opinion. Yeah, uh, got in the mix again. Got in the mix again last week, but you know, I think he was in the bottom six, uh, top bottom fifty for greens in regulation again. Yeah. Now that around Riviera on a wet, sopping wet golf course, that isn't going to work. No, there's something there, isn't there? As you say, he was uh, he showed some form early on in the event, but um, I think he got to within one one or two in the lead, mm. um, sort of Saturday afternoon, and then he started hit doing uh, yeah. doubles and triples. Yeah, doesn't help, does it? Yeah, would suggest there's something quite ingrained in there where, you know, if you, if he's not going to contend around Pebble Beach, and that's the perfect kind of setup for him. Yeah. I, I don't fancy his chances this week. Matsuama at 30s looks quite tempting, but having been on him at Phoenix, where he did finish top tee to green, it was his driving that was shockingly bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've kind of touched on it before, not doesn't feel we? That doesn't feel great for here, does it? His his irons, um, and we we saw it uh, before, didn't we? His, his irons seem to be strong, but uh, his yeah, off the tee is not quite right, is it? Not quite right at the moment. And when he gets that right, he's going to be he's going to be winning tournaments. I think the rest of his game's pretty much there. I'm not so sure that you can be a hundred percent flagrant off the tee here. No. And you've also got to be a guy that's very comfortable moving the ball both ways. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that Hideki isn't that man, but I don't think he's got the confidence in his driver right now to actually be moving the ball left to right and right to left because he's missing it both ways. Yeah. <laughs> and around here, that means block shots. I think there's a... There's, I mean, if we're looking at courses that really link in well here, uh, Kapalua is obvious with both Dustin Johnson and Watson. Um but there's weird courses like like the PGA West where they play the Humana Challenge. James mm-hmm. Hahn's finished fourth there. Bubba Watson's been runner up there. John Merrick's been runner up there. Bill Hass has won there twice. You see, yeah, mm. Steve Stricker's finished runner up at PGA West. 
So that that's that's a bit of a strange one. That is an odd one, though. Uh, but it seems to come out quite regularly. Glen Abbey for the RBC Canadian Open. Uh, DJ's finished twice there, uh, twice there and one there. Uh, James Hans finished top twelve there. Bubba yeah. Watson's finished runner up there. That's it's a bit, classical it's a bit more, golf course. Yeah. It's a bit more logic that, fe- that, yeah. that used to feature a bit of bent grass with Poana mixed in with yeah. it. So you can see that one. Yeah. Conway Farms another good link. Cog Hill BMW Championship. There are courses and listen, Doral. DJ's won at Doral. Bubba's finished second there twice and third. Uh, Phil Mickelson, who's won here twice at Riviera's, won at uh, Doral. Now, they don't play there anymore, but mm. you know that's three players that have uh, played exceedingly well at Doral that, are, that go well around here virtually every year. So yeah. there's something linking that to it as well. That's quite a positive for Rory because Rory, I think, has finished second and third at Doral. Mm. Never quite won. Justin Rose has done well here at Riviera. He won at Doral. So there's something in that. Garcia, another one. But yeah, I mean, players in the mid-range that potentially interest me. Finau, Cantlay. Um, I think Leishman, although I think Leishman's tee to green game starting to desert him a little bit. Adam Scott, I think he's going to be a decent shout at 33s. He, I, in my opinion... I didn't think he would ever do a lot last week because it is pure. It's a putter's paradise, Pebble Beach. Yeah. In the in the main, um, you know, Schnedeker, Leishman, um, they played well there, of course. Phil, Jason Day plays well there. Good, re- very comfortable putters. Not Adam Scott. Yeah. But here, based on the fact that he was second at Torrey Pines a few weeks ago, and he's kept himself in, he did disgrace himself. He made the feed. He, he just didn't make the final cut. Yeah. And noticeably with Scott, he actually drove the ball well on his one round at Pebble Beach. Because mm-hmm. clearly there was only strokes gained information gleaned at Pebble Beach last week. But he was in the top 15 for strokes gained across his, on his only round. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm not sure you can read a great deal into last week with a lot of players, to be honest. You know, looking back at his uh, his Torrey Pines um, effort is, is far stronger, I think. You know, you kind of marry that up to... Um, to how a winner here, yeah, yeah. Run, of, runner up a couple of years ago to Bubba. Yeah, yeah. Are you in? Are you in on Scott at that price? Scott, Scott's the only yeah. player that I've backed today. Um, yeah, I, I was wait, waiting for the uh, waiting for the price to come up. Yeah, we talked about Scott um, back uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, you know, well, I, you picked I, him up at hundreds, didn't you? Before yeah, Torrey Pines, yeah, when he yeah, finished second. Exactly, and um, you know, looking through the list of potential matches. Um, in terms of you know matching him to his skill sets to the tracks that are coming up, this was one that sticks out like a sore thumb. And mm. I was you know, I got a little bit of early forty fives earlier on forty five to one, which I thought was um, which I thought was on the generous side. And I think he will settle around about thirty threes, as you just said, um, which is probably around about uh, the right price for him. But uh, yeah, forty five to one, I was willing to. Willing to have a chance at that price, I think. That second place finish at Torrey uh, three weeks ago, fifteenth for greens and regulation, eighth for scrambling, fantastic for this week. Yeah, a place like Riviera, mm-hmm. he was sixth, equal sixth with Tony Finau for ball striking. Made seven bogeys, and the, the Rory McIlroy topped it that week. He only made five, so yep. Scott's in great nick, very very good nick. 
that missed cut actually boosts his price because he, he clearly would have been shorter if he'd had a, a very strong week at Pebble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he started off the third round in, in decent shape as well. And, uh, you know, towards the end of it, he just kind of drifted away a bit. The conditions weren't good, were they? And, you know, by that point, it was quite a long way off the off the lead. You know, did you take a tactical, you know, yeah. su- Sunday at, off? At a, pro, at a pro-am as well. Yeah. Did you take mm. a tactical Sunday off and get yourself prepped for a... Uh, for an event that's going to be far up your, you know, far up your, uh, up your alley, rather than uh, rather than Pebble Beach, yeah. not a bad miscut. I, ta- I thought you were talking about Amsterdam again for a, <laughs> for a short while. Um, pl- anyway, we won't go down that route. Um, Stallings appeals to me, as we said, kind of bloke that keeps keeps the heat, loves the power. Uh, finished thirty, I think, last year. Yep. So he's one that interests me. Keegan Bradley, another triple-digit price. Luke List's likely to do well around here. Uh, you could make a case for Danny Willett. Plays well at Augusta. Definitely shows something at Torrey Pines. Uh, didn't make many bogeys, so he's keeping the card clean. The other one that did jump out at me, and this is kind of very tentative, and I don't even know if I'll actually tip him. Could be a very good DraftKings play, for example. Mm. And I mentioned him to you off mic, and you were like, mm. Johnny Vegas. Yep. Yeah, no, he's playing some great re- stuff. Great record at Glen Abbey. And we talked about this quirky PJ West link. Well, he won there, where he beat Gary Woodland many years ago. Um, can play a classical golf course. And his performance last time out at Scottsdale was very, very eye catching. Mm. Um, he was fourth for Greens in regulation. He was 18th for ball striking. He was third for scrambling. And he only made four bogeys, which was equal with Xander Chauflé and Sung Jaim. So they were the three players that made the least bogeys over 72 holes. Yeah. Yep. So I think Vegas, who I'm seeing as big as 250 to 1, and he's going to be a real steal in the DraftKings price strategy. So, I think that's yeah. a decent price. If the, the am, pro- I actually, yeah. am, am I imagining that he's had a top 10 here in the past? Uh, let's have a quick uh, in the top 20 last year around here and he was 12th here in 2011 right so not a total disaster no 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 I think if the scoring's a little bit easier um, it's softer as you said um, you mm. know he's got, he's got the ammunition to get around a soft golf course that's for sure so. he's definitely a bomber yeah yeah so yeah Johnny Vegas I might try and squeeze him in at a big price mm. But that's where I'm at. I can't be any more specific than that, listeners, I'm afraid, because that's just the way that the cookies crumble this week with the um, Pebble Beach having to be extended by another 15 hours into Monday. So I will be out with my preview as quickly as I can tomorrow morning UK time and also with the golf betting show. The uh, golf betting show for Paul's event is already out there, so that's available on our YouTube channel. I'll build a link into the... uh, podcast description for that and Paul you have an event a second week in a row in Australia on the European tour it all makes sense doesn't it you're yeah. at the ISPS Handout World Super 6 yeah which actually has been on the European tour longer than you might think hasn't it well the actual the course has been played played yeah, um, for a few different events over the years but uh, didn't they used to play this in the autumn as we know it which is early spring back then but it's it's now clearly we're playing it now in our well very late uh, 
winter, which is coming into their summer, yeah? Yeah, it, it used to be the Johnny Walker classic going back uh, to the early awesome. 2000s. Yeah, so um, it was it Retief Goosen and uh, Ernie Els won. Right. In fact, Ernie Els set the, um, set the scoring record for the European Tour here back in the day at 29 under. So that kind of Where's gives... Ernie going to pop out, Paul? Because he's playing, so he played again well last week, Ernie Els. Yeah. It's a difficult one to call. Can you see it? him popping up at something European tour level, or in? A, I mean, Florida makes perfect sense because he's got a great worker on the Bermuda. Yeah, can he he's compete? Playing a lot better golf, mate. Can he compete and contend at that kind of level anymore? Do you think? Mm, don't know. It's a tough one, isn't it? But yeah, no, you're right. He has. He's he's, he's been prominent in at various points, hasn't he? He's hitting tons of greens, which is mm. always, of course, his strength. But sorry, yeah. I interrupt you. Go on, mate. No, that's, that's, it's an interesting one because uh, his name has been popping up. But yeah, so we played the used to play the Johnny Walker Classic here at Lake Carignup. Uh The Perth International, which was uh, when it was resurrected, or the course was re- resurrected to be used for European Tour action. So that was 2012, I think it was, when Bo Van Pelt came over and, uh, and, and won. And they played it for a few years, and then the last two years, and this will be the third year, it's been converted into this World Super 6 format. So the European Tour do love these quirky, um, different format events, and this is the first one of those this season. Um, I'll go through how it works, because it is... Oh, it's not it is complex. It, it is complex. I yeah. should know. I've been covering it for three years, but you had to remind <laughs> me how it actually works. Yeah, so um, Thursday and Friday, it's pretty straightforward. 36 holes of straight play, so 18 each day, as you'd expect, as normal. The cut's 65 and ties, so nothing changes there. Um, they then go into Saturday, where they play another 18 holes of stroke play. And at the end of Saturday, the field is cut down to 24 players. So if there's more than 24 players on the cut line at that point, they will have a mass playoff to see who gets through. And then the top and the final 24 will go through to Sunday. And that's where it all changes, because instead of it being stroke play, it turns into match play. The top eight in the leaderboard as of Sunday morning get a bye into the second round. And the other 16 will play each other in the first round so that you end up with eight who get through who then play the eight top seeds who finish in the top eight positions on the leaderboard and the way this match play works it's six hole match play um, they'll go through the six holes there's one after the end of six holes clearly goes through if there's a tie then they proceed to the knockout knockout hole which is around about 100 yards in length and they'll play that until there's a winner of that particular match. So these are these are short, sharp, six-hole match play um, games and uh, matches. That um, you know, it's a lot of fun actually to watch it. Um, it's it can be quite a challenge to bet on. But uh, but then I picked up um, Brett Rumford the first year that this ran fifty to one. 50 yeah. to one that was very nice. Um, I put Brett Rumford up again as first round leader last year on Facebook, and uh, he uh, he shot a lovely first round, and that uh, that kept me ticking over for the uh, for the week. Um, I had Rumford outright as well that week, and uh, he ended up uh, missing the cut from the from the final group on the Saturday. But uh, that's uh, that's the way this uh, this game goes sometimes, isn't it? Um, so the course itself is a 7,143-yard par 72. It's a classical tree-lined fair, um, but it is quite wide. The fairway is around about 40 yards wide, and uh, 
you know, for a classical tree-lined um, track, it's it's not going to play, you know, it's not going to play like a Valderrama. It's not tight like that. Um, it's more about how players perform from the second shot in. It's about high GIR. If you're missing greens, the scrambling is particularly tough around this uh, uh, around this track. So there's runoffs, the bunkers are nasty. Um, the pin because pin positions can be particularly challenging if the um, if the organisers decide to tuck them away. Um, and what you get here, being on the Perth, it's just inside the Perth coastline. It's a couple of miles off the uh, off the coast, and you get this um, what's called the Fremantle Doctor, the the wind that comes in off the Perth coast um, every day in the afternoons, and uh, it can really make it a challenging. Uh, course to play when there's a bit of wind around. Now you've actually got a bit of wind around generally this week anyway so Thursday it's going to be averaging around about 20 miles an hour which I think is going to make it really quite chat and tricky. Uh, Friday's uh, it's down to about 10 and then Saturday, Sunday 15 maybe again up to 20 miles an hour in terms of the wind speed so I think it's going to be quite challenging. Of course by Sunday they'll be playing match play um, so um, it's going to be, you know, it's less about the score that's being made and more about how you're playing against uh, the other player. But um, you clearly need to get yourself into position um, over the first three days. And if uh, if you're playing poorly in the wind, um, it's not going to happen, is it? So, no. yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Going back to some of these old events, um, just to give you an idea, of the kind of players that won. Or have one. So I said, Bo Van Pelt won the, won the 2012 uh, Perth yeah. International. Proper GIR grinder, Bo Van Pelt was, as, yeah. as Louis Oosthuizen is. So yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. But you've also got players like Jin Jong. He he won at 250 to one the year after. Mm. Where has yeah, Jin, yeah, yeah. Where has Jin Jong gone? Eh? Um, <laughs> I haven't a clue. <laughs> it did make me chuckle when I read his name. Um, Olsen won in 2014 at 40 to one. Um, Jong, Jin Jong was 250 to 1, by the way. Um, Oosthuizen, you said, won in 2016 at 10 to 1. Um, and then Brett Rumford, when it when it converted to this uh, Super 6 format, he won at 50s. Last year was uh, Afi Barnrat at 25 to 1. So when we've moved yeah. to this well, Super 6 format, um, you've got two very, very strong putters who've come away with the title. So Rumford and, uh, and, and Afi Barnrat. Um but this kind of throws up a dilemma then. How do you play this event? Because you've got two different ways you can play it. And uh, I've gone into a little bit of detail on, on the preview. But um, you've got markets for the overall winner, which a are... A link in the description box, listeners, by the way. There is a link there to both of our previews this week. So if you want to read Paul's de- in detail, you can click through. Yeah, so it probably does take a bit of digesting. And actually, within the preview itself, i put a link through to the format page of the actual... Uh, official website that goes into the same kind of detail but just to kind of validate that um so you've got two different markets running on this you've got a, you've got an outright market which because it's match play the bookies go um top four so to get through to um to get through to the uh, semi-finals is where you're getting paid out each way yeah um most of the bookies, in fact, all of the bookies but one, have got a quarter of the odds of top four. Um, Boyle yeah. Sports are the only bookie right now who have gone something slightly different, and they're offering a third of the odds of top four. Now, if you put that into uh, into your calculator, that actually means you're getting a third extra on your each-way payout if you go a third of the odds rather than a quarter of the odds. So, in short, if you're betting the outright market and your odds are the same, with Boyle Sports for the player you've chosen as everyone else, then use Boyle's because you're going to get a better each-way payout should they get through to the semi-finals. 
And mm. um, that's of course if you want to play the the match play market, so the outright outright market for the guy who's actually going to lift the trophy on on Sunday night. The alternative is to play the fifty four hole leader market. So you can draw a line under the event after the three rounds of match or straight play have been played, and um, some bookmakers are offering a market there. Um, and again, the odds are actually quite similar, but you're getting the more conventional terms, sort of five or six or sometimes seven places each way, depending on the bookmaker you use. Um, and you can choose to, to play the play the event that way. And I guess, you know, looking back, um, when I picked Rumford up in 2016, um, 2017 rather, um, he was five shots clear after the first three rounds. So... Had he not gone on to win that event, I'd have been absolutely screwing because you know I've backed him. He's played the best golf of um, all of the players there. He's five shots clear after three rounds, and he could have lost in the first round, and I'd have um, I'd have gone away and walked away with absolutely nothing there. As it happened, he continued and he won the event. And last year, Promiswat, who was the fifty-four hole leader, he did lose his first match play event the following day he got he got a buy through to the second round and then he lost that match so anyone who backed Mizwa outright um would have been let down now had they backed oh, absolutely, him absolutely yeah. yeah had they backed him for 54 hole leader they'd have walked away with a winner so there's a dilemma as to how you play it and um you know you can back one or the other you could back 54 you could back outright you could back both depending how you see um you know how your attitude is to to kind of the risk that you've got with um with this kind of event, I guess. And the flip side of that is Afi Barnrat, who he only just scraped through to the uh, to the to the uh, match play part last year. Um, he was tied for seventeen. They had to have a playoff to get through to the uh, to the Sunday. He made it through that, and then he wins the event. So, had you have backed him in the fifty-four hole leader market, you'd have uh, you'd have got absolutely nothing back. But he goes on and lifts the trophy. So, there is a bit of a uh, a punter's dilemma with this particular event. So I've kind of circumvented that by going for both markets with the three players that I've picked. So rather than going yeah. for four, five, six players and backing them all in the outright market or backing them all in the 54-hole leader market, I've picked three that I think are good value um, and I've backed them in both the 54-hole leader market and the outright market. And if they were to oblige on one or the other of the markets, then clearly, uh, clearly we get a winner best case scenario is we uh, end up with uh, a 54 hole leader and the outright winner and end up with uh, bagging two winners for the week but uh, let's uh, cross that bridge when we get that would be a nice you seem, it, from what you're saying and it does make a lot of sense doesn't it you're better off having less players covering both markets I think yeah I, I, I remember last year I think I backed it most, if not all, of my players in the outright market, and then you kind of get part of the way through the week, and you're thinking, you know, I wish I'd have backed him in the fifty-four old leader market now because you know there's uh, there's a chance of it being, you know, mm. of there being a, a serious letdown here. Um, so it does it offers you some protection against that. But yes, you know, unless you're going to, you know, end up pay, you know, backing five or six players and then doubling your overall stake or halving your stake to kind of accommodate it. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it takes a little bit of thought. So yeah, the way I've played it is I've gone for just for three and I've backed them in both markets. Um, the first of my three is, um, I'm sticking with Paul Dunn. I backed Dunn last week and he, he did all right. It was seventh into Sunday. 
he certainly had a chance. I think he was five back and, um, and nothing happened on the Sunday. He, he, he shot 73, only made one birdie in the whole day and nothing dropped for him. But I think he knows he's close. I've you know, read some of the Twitter comments from himself and um, you know he's, uh, he's taken a lot of positives out of the, uh, the, uh, the week. And the thing that really stands out to me, and I've mentioned it before with, um, with Paul Dunn, is so much of this comes down to how he drives. Um, and he has been driving the ball really poorly um, for quite some time now. But last week, um, I think he finished 15th overall for driving accuracy. And going into Sunday, he was fourth in the field, um, which is a, a revelation for him. You know, that's the kind of number that I'm looking out for with, with a player like him. And, uh, you know, when that when that's popping up on my screen, and uh, that's a signal to get involved. And he was second for scrambling. The putter wasn't quite there, but I think he still finished around about 20th for putting average on the week, which, um, you know, when the putter fires with him, he, he can take a take a tenth for that and uh, can really contend. Mm. He's got a little bit of um, little bit of history here. Finished, uh, he missed a cut back in 2016 on the only time that he's played it, but then he'd been playing out in the, in America up until that point. He missed a cut in Phoenix, missed a cut in Pebble, came over here, missed a cut. Um, clearly wasn't in the best of shape in terms of his, uh, his form at the time, but... Um, you know, given that his form seems to be escalating in the right direction now, I think that's uh, that's going to going to be the thing positive. that made tons of sense when I read your preview was and and the name Paul Dunn is that the fairways are forty yards wide. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and that brings him right into the mix. He does like it wider. Um, you know, any mm. any kind of second shot course where there's less emphasis off the tee shot and more about how you're going to play yeah. your, your wedges and your approach shots. And he's got a magical short game. He likes the classical tracks. We've seen him do well in um, in Open Championship qualifying at, uh, at the uh, the Woburn course that's here. Not not the one they use for the uh, the British Masters. The the other other track. He's done well there. Um, close house. He's he's finished. Uh, he, he lost out in a playoff at uh, in Morocco as well, which is another one of these uh, tree lined but slightly wider tracks. I think there's a lot to like yeah. with him. Um, yeah, and if you yeah, look yeah. at um, some of his match play form, he finished 10th at the World Cup with Shane Lowry. Clearly, Lowry's gone on to win in the last few weeks, so there might be a little bit of uh, motivation there for for Paul to emulate his uh, compatriots. And then he's won the he won the Golf Sixes last year with Gavin Moynihan as well. So, you know, if you're talking about quirky events, then uh, you know he's, he's already got that on his CV. So, mm. um, I thought 50 to one outright and 50 to one 54 hole leader. Um, was worth a punt in this again, which isn't a particularly strong field, I don't think. Where um, did Louis Oosthuizen win his um, win his Open Championship? It was two thousand and ten. It was St Andrews, wasn't it? It was St Andrews, yeah. What? Yeah, don't even barely have fairways, do they? <laughs> and where did where did Paul Dunn come to come yeah, to yeah, come yeah. to the fore? Yeah, and I'm I'm seeing here that he had a seventh in the um, Dunhill Links a couple of years ago as well. It, oh, it does make a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's an appeal to him. I do, and you know I think the, the miscut in 2016 I think it can just be ignored. And uh, I wouldn't mm. be remotely surprised to see him go well this week. And if it is windy, that's fine. You know, it, it generally means that other players are going to be struggling from from off the tee and you know that levels the playing field out for for him um and, uh, and you've got to make a lot of putts and we know he's a fantastic putter yeah. so yeah absolutely yeah. if the putter's yeah. working on sunday then he can you know you can absolutely annihilate other players just by making putts from from mm. all angles so 
So yeah, I do like Dunn this week. Um, I also like Adrian Otegi, who again, yeah. 51, 50 to 1 outright. Slightly longer, you're getting 55 to 1 in places in the 54-hole leader market. Um, he missed the cut last week. Or he missed, missed the final round cut. He got through to the third round and um, it didn't make the final third, top 35 cut. But... You know, there were 40 odd players who didn't make that either. If you, you look at his stats, he hit over 83% of greens in regulation, which is positive. Um, he yeah. was seventh for GR the week before in Saudi when he finished 24th. Again, he hits over 80% of fairways that week as well. And that's his game. I think he when he's hitting fairways, it drives confidence through the rest of his game. And we saw that back in the last year third in Turkey, fourth at the Earth Course in Dubai. You know, clearly operating at a far higher level than this week's. Uh, this week's test. But I think the thing that really sticks out to me is the two wins that he's got on the European Tour. Um, 2017 Paul Laurie match play, the 2018 Belgian knockout, which again is one of these quirky match play formats. Both of his yeah. wins have been in this kind of match play, you know, lower tier match play events on the European Tour. And I think he'll feel quiet at home playing this week. I think it will be, um, you know, the the format will feel good to him. His game's better than I think his underlying um, or his visible results really show. And uh, again, I thought 50 to 1 was worth having a punt. And again, you're getting slightly more if you go for the 54. I didn't realise that he had such a good close to last year. I didn't realise he was performing at such high echelons. Yeah, yeah. Those top four finishes in Turkey and, uh, yeah. and Dubai, they're, they're strong. I mean, he only just Amazing. made it. He only just made it into Dubai, but then to go and finish fourth is um, absolutely. That's it's a big move for him, you know, career-wise. It's it's setting a marker down for what he can do in the future. Yeah. He's, he's a good player. I, I do like Tagi. I think he's a good player, and uh, you know, on any given week, he can hit a lot of greens. On any given week, he can make some putts. And those weeks that he ties it all together, um, he's a dangerous player. Um, my final selection is. Like a lot of a lot of a lot of punters may not have uh, really come across this guy, but it's Sinapa Chikarangappa, who's an Indian uh, player who's he's been around for a little while. Um, he's only twenty five, um, but he's starting to appear on some higher level leaderboards, and he's starting to rack up a pretty decent haul of wins for his career. Now, if you go back to 2016, um, we had uh, Thatcher Kongwatmai, who was in the final yep. uh, against Brett Rumford. And, uh, Kong and no one had ever heard of. No, yeah. he's a young Thai guy. He'd kind of come through and no one had really heard about him, but he'd, uh, he kind of snuck through to the to the final final day, got himself all the way through to the final. Rumford uh, ground him down at the end. But these things can happen. And uh, I kind of see Chikaran Gapper in a similar kind of mould, really. Um, slightly older, is 25, but at 25 years of age, he's already won 12 times on the on the Indian Tour, the PGTI. Um, 10 of those wins came quite early in his career, and then he changed his swing, had a few um, challenges trying to adapt to that, and he didn't win anything then until November, just gone, where he won the Jeev Milko Singh's Invitational Tournament. And then he won again last week, uh, again on the Indian Tour. Um, clearly playing some decent golf. Now, those are all pretty low-level um, events. But then, if you look, he finished second on that uh, Mauritius Open, the one that was co-sanctioned, co-sanctioned with the European Tour that Kitsuyama won. And again, if you look down his skill stats, um, lots of good scrambling performances, a lot of good putting performances. 
um, overall um, in the Singapore Open he finished before he won the uh, before he won last week he finished kind of top 25 that kind of level um, and his overall game looked pretty strong and in what was a stronger field in Singapore and um, I think there's quite a lot to like about him and 200 to 1 outright and 175 to 1 for the 54 hole lead again I thought it was just worth having a having a punt on um, in this particular format and again what's a pretty weak field so so those are the three that I've backed the the, the preview um, as Steve said earlier was was out a little bit earlier this afternoon um, and people me- people mentioned they like guys that came close in terms of your shortlist, are any any players there that you you kind of cut at the last, or you cut on the basis that you can't back them with this two market strategy? Is there anyone there that really jumps out? Yeah, some of the guys at the top, it, it's it's very difficult to try and draw a line through them. I mean, Justin Harding's playing some a- excellent golf at the moment, mm. some really good golf. He has um, been for a while, hasn't he? He has, yeah. Brad Kennedy again, um, he finished. Uh, I forget where it was last year, fifth last year, I think. Um, he was second last week. Um, I think he topped the predictor model as well, Brad. So um, I may regret that one. Um, at the top end, Thomas Peters is very, very short. But then if you look at his um, his win in the World Cup with Thomas Dietrich, you know, clearly there's some some correlation there. And his form's not been bad. It's not been consistently good this season. But if you look at his overall. Finishes. I think he's got three top 30 finishes out of his three attempts and decent fields as well. So you can certainly make a case for him, but you know, the kind of prices on offer there, it's um, I, I couldn't take it. I guess the guy that I think is probably playing the best golf of the lot is Tom Lewis. Um, yeah. He's been playing some really cracking golf. But, uh, you know, 16 to 1 in this format of field, uh, this format, um, I just, I, I just can't, Get There's a lot of ifs someday. and buts there for a 16 to 1 shot, isn't there? There is, yeah, there is. Mm. Um, I, personally, I think the, the way to play this is to take your chance um, on, on a few players a little bit further down and see see where it takes you. Mm. Um, I think they've got to be a decent putter um, or have some other stuff going for him in terms of, you know, we talked about Ategi in terms of his, um, his winning history on, on two quirky events. Um, and we know yeah, Paul, yeah. we know we know with Paul Dunn when he's putters far and he's he's absolutely outstanding with the flat sticks. So so yeah, that's that's kind of where I left it. There, there wasn't really a mid range player that I I felt you know compromised in not putting him in. There wasn't a fourth that I was trying to squeeze in and and didn't go with in the end. So uh, so okay. yeah, quite content with the three that I've gone for. I think lovely. It's an interesting one. I know I always catch a bit of it. Yeah. I like the event. over the yeah, weekend like the or event. whatever. It's interesting to watch on a Sunday, just mm. you know, because it's so quirky. Yeah, no, it's a good one. Good one. Looking forward to it. Well, thank you for your time, Paul. That pleasure as always. Appreciate it as ever. I will speak to you again on Wednesday when we record the uh, the Masters mm. podcast, which I'm really looking forward yeah, to. Yeah, me too. Thank you to uh, to the listeners as ever. Um, it's great that you're supporting us. It's great that your numbers are growing. If you can spare the time, leave us a iTunes review and a and a uh, actual mark. That'd be fantastic. I will read them out at the start of next week's show. Right. Thanks for listening. We will see you again very very soon. Goodbye.